To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. Uh, so on today's podcast, I have back on my friend Sam Davis. Man, I really like this guy. Um, uh, become friends with Sam over the years, and we keep in contact. And then we get to hang out um, this summer and shoot together. And let me tell you, like, I am so impressed by his shooting skill, by his work ethic. Like, it's no surprise this guy is consistently successful. And so um, I just love having him on the podcast. Uh, we both love bow hunting with every fiber of our being, and so it makes for a great conversation. So I catch up to him. I had him on a few days ago, so right at the end of September. Uh, he's wrapping up all his big hunts, but uh, he had a bison tag that he drew this year that he hunted hard for, uh, elk, mule deer, antelope, and so we visit about all that stuff. Um, just a, a great human being, great bow hunter, and it made for, uh, uh, an awesome episode. I think you guys will really enjoy it. So we'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Cryptech. I have the best technical mountaineering system put together this season. I'm so impressed by the, their gear. Uh, they really make it so I can hunt in any season from the early season with their offerings in the Sonora sun hoodie, uh, the Sonoran pants. Um, they have a great fit to their gear, great fit to their pants. I love their camo patterns. I've been using this Obscura Transitional, which is a lighter colored pattern that sends, seems to blend in so good across the West and uh, Hawaii and every place I hunt. It seems to blend in really well. So it's been working really good for me. Uh, I also have a bunch in their their altitude as well uh, which is a darker pattern but it really blends in good with the timber and with the shadows and you know which is where we're moving through country anyways you know is um, on the edges of timber and on the edges of darkness so I really blend in good uh, like I say all the way from summer to mid-season to late season uh, they just have great offerings in all their gears so if you're in the market for some new gear uh, make sure to go check out Cryptech. Uh, those guys are killing it. I also want to thank Vector Custom Arrows. So Vector Custom Arrows is a custom arrow shop where you put in all your specifications and they'll build you an arrow with a dynamic spine that matches the performance of your bow. And so this dynamic spine, this is something I've been doing for years off a program called Archer's Advantage. Uh, now they do it for you uh, with the cut, uh, with the reaction of the spine to your bow, uh, they have great components, uh, like their knocks. I really like their front-end components. Uh, they're really strong with a ballistic collar where you can shoot something hard and they don't get a wobble to them. Uh, they spin really true and fly really true. So, um, also, their fletchings, uh, uh, they, um, they're great. They hold up really well. It's tough to get fletchings to adhere to a shaft really well, and it takes trying out a bunch of different glues, and they've done the R&D on it where... Their fletchings hold true. They've got a great helical fletch on it, really stable flight, and I'm just getting great groups out of these arrows. So if you're in the market for a new arrow, make sure to go check them out over at Vector Custom Arrows. I also want to thank Camo Fire. 
the most addicted, addictive app out there. Uh, so there's 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. It comes up on an auction bid site, and um, and you can really save a lot of money and uh, save a, a huge percentage off top-notch gear. So make sure to check it out on Camo Fire. And also, I want to thank Black Ovis. So Black Ovis is an internet retail shop. You can get absolutely everything you need for your hunting adventures. Uh, they have all the top name brands. In fact, a bunch of our sponsors are in there, like Cryptech, like Everly Stock, like Zamberlin. Uh, you can shop through their site. I've been using their game bags this year. Been really impressed with those. Um, so yeah, I've been, uh, let's see, I used them on my mule deer, used them on my elk. Uh, real lightweight, durable, uh, strong bag that... Um, keeps the keeps the bugs and keeps the dirt off the meat and then um, able to get them out but they have absolutely everything you need for your hunt they also have a point system where uh, one point equals one dollar and you'll get these points through purchases you can also get them through reviews as well um, they just do a great job with that and you can save 10 percent just put in the promo code elevated 10 and save 10 percent on your order through camo fire and thanks to those guys for their support. Over at Eastman's, yeah, we're keeping busy over there. Uh, got some good Beyond the Grids hitting. You can check those out on YouTube. Uh, just search Eastman's Hunting TV. Check us out on the Outdoor Channel. Of course, the magazines. I have a couple articles in the last bow hunting journal. Uh, well, uh, in the last two bow hunting journals. So they've been keeping me busy writing, and I really like... I really like that media where I get to get to think about my word choice and really uh, really make sure that I'm getting the point I want to get across. And I don't hold back any secrets. It's a bit like the podcast where I just want to share the information that's helped make me successful over the years uh, so you guys can implement it into your hunting and hopefully brings you guys some more success in the future. So uh, really fun to write for those guys. Um yeah, I've been filming a couple new things for this season that I'm really psyched to come out with. Got a high country mule deer hunt. We captured that elk hunt, so that'll be really fun to share with you guys as well. Uh, and check out our mule deer school. Uh, this is a project that I took on with Dan Picard, Guy Eastman. Uh, it's sure to cut the learning curve by years. And, um, you know, I believe there's over 100 videos now on the mule deer course. Uh, it's absolutely everything I've learned about hunting mule deer uh, all in one place that you can walk through these videos, through this text, uh, to pick up some pick up some tips that you can implement into your own hunting. So um, really excited about that. You can check out that mule deer course. Just search uh, Eastman's mule deer course and should pop up there. And uh, I believe it's really good value for the price uh, for all the information that we've put in it. And we're going to continue to evolve it. I know I've been filming things for the mule deer course as well this season. So make sure to check out that. And, um, man, I think that's all I got. I've been hunting moose really hard. Uh, it's been heating up, which is really good. Uh, starting to see some bulls. They're rutting. I passed a bull on Saturday, passed a bull on Sunday, um, and just burning the midnight oil. I was out again last night till about 10 o'clock, you know, after work. So just evenings, weekends, trying to squeeze in a day here or there. So, uh, I'm going to go on a big tour this weekend and do three, four days and, um, Man, I've, I have some buddies that have been hunting elk, and they've been seeing some moose as well. In fact, my, my buddy Ryan saw a good bull yesterday that I went looking for. So it's just a matter of time. I'm going to get lucky on one of these things. Just got to keep hunting hard, and especially like right now during the rut. I mean, I, um, 
wish I had more time, but I got to get some some work done and some responsibility too. But hoping I can sneak out this weekend for three four days and and uh, give it my all. It's um you know it's a combination between master vantage points and um, um you know still hunting in places or at least hunting through places like a mobile vantage point and then also driving. You know like uh, Ryan saw that one driving a road. Um, so that's also part of the game. Uh, so I'm just trying to implement all these strategies, but for me, the master vantage points have been key. So that's what I'm going to focus on here. And I'm going to kill one of these big bulls or at least give it my all try. And so, uh, it's been really fun to, um, hunt a, a new species. Like I've hunted them, the Alaskan Yukon, but I've never hunted moose in Montana. So it's really fun to have this tag and, uh, have this opportunity. So, uh, you know, they can be few and far between. Their densities are low. Uh, so it's a real challenge, but um, I'm embracing it and going all in. So uh, anyways, that's what I'm up to. Let's get into this podcast. It's a great one with Sam Davis. I uh, really like this guy and really enjoyed this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Hey, no problem. It's about the only morning I could do it. So, yeah, you're right. We're both busy right now, so this is perfect. Man, you've been killing it. Another great bow season. Oh, it's been a blast. Like, you know, you get – you work yourself up. All, I, I do. I work myself up all year. You know, you got so many irons in the fire, and this year I quit my job and started a new thing, and it was just like you're trying to carve out time and trying to figure everything out, and then you look back, and September's over tomorrow, and it's been like – and yeah, it's another successful, another successful journey. Everything that you put all that time and effort into it, 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 it worked out. <laughs> Even though I had limited time this year, it worked itself out. So yeah, it was a blast. Man, good work. You um, changed jobs. I don't think we talked about that. We hung out a bit this summer, which was really fun to hang out with you and your family up there at the summit. But um, yeah, you switched jobs, huh? Yeah. So I've been working at the ranch. When I was with you, it was the tail end of June. I actually gave my two-week notice probably like the 7th of July or something like that or right around like a week after, two weeks after I left you. Um, yeah, so I worked on the ranch, like I said, 19 and a half years, and they were super good to me and everything. It was just time for a change. And my best friend, he's a carpenter, has his own gig. He's been doing it for about six and a half years on his own, and he, he's just a solo one-man deal. Well, me and him got to talking. He had some bigger projects, and I've helped him as a side gig for the last oh, three, four, five years, I've helped him and it just worked out that me and him could do some things together. And sure enough, here we are. We set trusses on a giant house yesterday. We built a big shop this summer, a big, I mean, it's just that the wheels started rolling right off the bat. So yeah, we're busy as can be. And it's awesome. It's, it's, it's a weird feeling kind of being out there on, on my own. And, but it's, it's never felt better to be honest with you. Oh, good for you, Sam. Man, I'm so happy for you. I know you had you had helped him a bunch on um, like you were working after hours on a bunch of projects to get extra money helping him out. But what a well, what a great uh, like team up and construction to have you two uh, doing a bunch of projects like that, and it's going to give you more freedom ultimately. So yeah, uh, what a great change for you, man. I bet you're happy. Oh, it's been yeah. It's like I said, it's been life changing. It's a it's a scary step to take. You know, you've had that paycheck every two weeks, you know, from the company, right? Every two weeks, you know what your paycheck's going to look like. There's that. There's that comfort that I've had, you know, that reassurance that everything's going to be all right. And 
And then all of a sudden you walk away from that after 19 and a half years, you give your two weeks and you're kind of just out there hanging on your own. And <laughs> you know, if I, if I didn't have the wife I did though, to support me and she's got a good job, she carries some insurance for us at the bank. And so it, it allowed me to make some moves and yeah, so that's, it's, it was, it was a huge jump and man, I've never been happier. It was, it was a wild feeling last Thursday, Zach, he's my hunting partner, my best friend, everything. We worked together, obviously, and we took a big storm came rolling in. We got the balls up on the house. We were ready for trusses, and it was like 2 o'clock. He's like, let's go. He hadn't killed a bull yet, so we cut out and did just a bomber elk trip, and he ends up sticking a good six-point last Thursday night, and here we are. It's just raining sideways, and we're quartering this bull up and getting him skinned, and just it's what you dream of, right? So it's one of those September nights and lightning's popping everywhere. It's raining, but we're quartering the bull elk, so it doesn't matter at all. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to ask the boss in the morning if I can come pack meat. You know, it's just kind of funny. But And then him and I are back in there 5 o'clock the next morning packing hindquarters out and right back to making sure the layout was done, ready for trusses on Monday. So, yeah, it was, uh, it's, uh, it's been a hell of a change, and it's been, it's been a really, really good one. And we're both very ambitious. And like I said, we've worked together for, I mean, over, we've been, you know, partners or friends in life for 20 years now. So we worked, he worked at the ranch for six or eight years. We worked together there. Then he went out on his own. And for side money, I've been working for him for, like I said, five, six years. So, yeah, it's not like it's a new thing. It's just something we've done for a long time. And it just, it's worked out that we can do it together now. We, we take on some gigantic projects. So it's been really good. Man, that's amazing. Um you know, I'm I'm not surprised that you're doing so well. Like we we get visiting, and I get to know you, and um, you know, I just I I uh, I get to find out like uh, what makes you tick and why. Like it is re like bow hunting is extremely difficult, and yet you find success year after year. And hearing your your work ethic and uh, devotion to your family and making a better life for them, you know, your side hustles and the the way you work at your ranch and just the way you know, the way you do one thing is how you do everything. And you really live your life that way. I just, um, I walked away, you know, knowing exactly why you're successful in life and exactly why you're happy in life and have a good family, but it isn't easy, you know, and taking that leap, um, is extremely difficult. And, uh, you know, you just, like you say, that steady paycheck, this, you know, you, you, you have security, you know that you can pay the bills and take care of your family and walking away from that, even though you trust Zach and know him and, and have a pretty good feeling everything's going to work out. It's still this scary leap. Uh, but man, I'm not, a, I'm not surprised in the least. You guys are going to absolutely kill it. It's just your work ethic and your attitude and, uh, you're going to do good with anything you do in life. So yeah, uh, you guys are going to kill it in the, in the construction field, but dude, so happy to hear that. Like, uh, Eventually, it's just going to be more time for you with your family, more time doing what you love to do. So, that, so that's absolutely amazing, man. And I met, I met your buddy. Well, uh, my hunting buddies met your buddy Zach, like out in the spot, and Zach gave him a hand, like uh, gave him like a. Yeah. Uh, my buddy had arrowed a buck and he had crossed into some private and um, died there. And then Zach helped uh, make contact to the warden there and uh, help those guys out and helped them get his deer. So, um, but man, that's just awesome to hear, Sam. So happy for you. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's been cool. And yeah, we're two and a half months into it and we're doing good. So yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier. Man, that's amazing. Well, yeah. And, um, it's wild these hunting seasons 
you know, it sounds like, um, you know, you've got a new job, so you're definitely focused on that and getting things done and make sure you're performing there. Uh, same with me as uh, not a new job, but uh, same with me as I'm, I've been so busy this hunting season. And I, I am going to take less and slow down a bit more during hunting season. But this one's just been a busy one doing a, a personal house. And I've got, you know, four other houses going. And so, you know, a lot of responsibility there. But it's like I can always just make a little time. I can always squeeze time in that that weekend warrior mindset is like what I had for so many years where I didn't get weeks off at a time. I just got weekends and could maybe squeeze a Friday or a Monday and um, killers kill. Like we find a way to be successful one way or another, don't we? (laughs) It's true. You know, we, uh, you know, Wyoming opened September 1st and that fell on, I think like a Thursday this year. So Wednesday night, we were going to cut out, you know, we were to take Thursday, Friday and take the long Labor Day weekend. So we had the first five days, bomber trip, you know, that weekend was 100. Everybody's bitching about the heat, but there's nothing you can do. You got to hunt. It's 104 degrees, but you still, it's September. So we were out in it. And, and then uh, we kind of the first five days, I got my wife on a good, man, we got on some good bulls. It just didn't quite work out. And uh, she ended up coming home. I hit it hard for the next three days. Do it. Zach and I were all over the country, um, split up together, split back up together, you know, just trying to find elk. And then, we, yeah, it was. It was a weekend warrior thing because we started that house project right in the middle of September. Next year, I said, we are not planning like that. That was pissed for planning. But anyways, um, <laughs> we, uh, we uh, yeah, it was a weekend mentality. Everybody always thinks you need it. Time is nice. It is nice when you can carve out a week, um, 10 days, but – it was. It was Friday. I mean, cutting out on a Friday night and then just grinding and getting into places and hustling, getting into places. I mean, there was times where I was heat checking places on one Friday night and it I, it didn't pan out like I wanted it to. And three and a half. I mean, I had an hour hike out of it, hour and a half hike out of there, and then drive two and a half, three hours. Uh, I got to another spot about midnight that night. Loaded my backpack. And got ready for the, a two-nighter, and I hiked back in at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was hiking back into another spot, and by daybreak, I was had ditched camp. I didn't even set anything up. I just threw it under a tree, marked it on Onyx, and kept on going. And luckily, I ended up killing a bull about 10 o'clock that morning. I got an arrow and a bull, so and it was hundreds of miles from where I'd started, you know, 14 hours earlier. So I think that's just what it takes. You can't – you just got to – foot on the gas pedal and if you only got weekends you got to make the most of your time drive at night don't be driving during the daytime don't be burning daylight hours like you need every bit of daylight you can when you got a limited amount of time a limited amount of time so <laughs> that's just you know how it is that's how it goes and uh yeah this year was a little different because i've always had weeks of hunting and i mean i could have done whatever but you know there's a job at hand that we're our task at hand that we had to take care of this year so we had obligations to get work done so it was hunting on the weekends and yeah it was it was good um so yeah that's how it started you know and i i do gotta say but i had drawn that bison tag and we did we took a solid we were gone uh we were gone 10 days for that bison hunt in august it opened august 15th and we left on the 13th of august so that's where our time we dumped some time into that one i was lucky Zach jumped in with me on that and it was cool so that was that was that was a big time suck right there that we used right off the bat in August yeah man it's been amazing to uh follow your season 
uh you're just so dedicate dedicated to the craft of bow hunting you know like you say you um uh you train like a madman work hard to support your family and um you know you've got this like great relationship with your wife where uh she supports what you love to do same situation that i'm in you know and so uh uh, yeah, and, and we so do. We're, oh, dude, we're, we're so, so lucky, lucky so lucky, and I'm the same <laughs> way as um, you know. I yeah, I've been I've been hunting weekends and adding a day here or there, and I've had to go to work and I, you know, uh, uh, be a weekend warrior. But but I also took time and you know did a big high country hunt for mule deer and then uh, did one in the Badlands for mule. So I've taken time as well. Uh, but man, it, it's so fulfilling. It's so amazing. Like to be out and immerse yourself and just to have a few days, uh, like you say, you want to make the most of it. That bison hunt, man, that's a special tag. Um, and it's not, it's not an easy hunt. Like they roam big country. So, uh, yeah. August 15th, man, um, it, uh, looked like an awesome adventure. I know you had a plan to go in with horses and cover some miles, kind of like, on the border country and these big drainages and trying to cut tracks. Like how'd that hunt work out, man? It was a great bull bison you killed too, by the way, man, uh, what a giant. Thank you. Oh yeah. I couldn't have been any, any happier with the bull that I got. Like, you know, you get, you have that tag, you have a, you have a, you have a moose tag this year. Yep. There's a, you, there's a, we always have our elk and, you know, we always have this pressure. You have like a non-resident, you know, mule deer tag and, there's always some sort of pressure that you put on yourself. Like, man, when's the next time I'm going to get this tag, blah, blah, blah. Well, like you having this moose or me having that bison, those are for the bison. It's essentially, it is once in a lifetime in Wyoming. And so that pressure is unreal that I don't, I don't know. Cause I think as bow hunters that you and I, we, and there's lots of guys like us that put everything that we love to do is hunting and bow hunting. And you get that tag in your hand and it's always like something you've dreamt of to have it. But then once you get that tag in your hand, it's kind of like, Oh man, like I I got it now. Like and now I got to make the most of it. I've got I got one hunting season to get this done, and I'll never have this again, you know. And so you get that tag in June. I found out I drew, and then it's just like instantly I was planning. I mean, within by noon that day that I had drawn, I'd probably talked to seven guys that had harvested bison in the past years. I had made phone calls and had phone calls on top of phone calls and. By, you know, like noon or one o'clock that day, I had stuff mapped out. Anyways, to make a long story short, that hunt was incredible. I went over, took my horses over with me, my hunting partner, Zach, and then Zach Bouton from Stone, Stone Glacier came down. And uh, He's a great guy, had, too. I really like that uh, guy. It, yeah, we had, you know how Stone Glacier guys are. Like, we had, it was, it was so much fun. Like, we got over there, we were two days early, got camp all set up that night. Um, and just like you said, we, we truck camped. Um, and then it was like a five, six mile horseback ride down into where we were hunting. And so what we did is we'd roll down in there horseback every morning. And the first day we got down there, we scouted, we rolled down in there, found exactly where we needed to be, what everything looked like, felt the country out. And right off the bat that morning, we saw bison, but you literally are running the Grand Teton National Park boundary. Like you are, there's a trail where the outfitters ride their horses on the boundary line literally every single day during, I can't say early season, but the late season, that's how they hunt them. And so we kind of got all that figured out, got a lay of the land, saw how the trails were, found another trail that went down in there. So that was a good scouting day. Found bison right away. Found a big bull bison. He was probably oh, three quarters of a mile inside of Grand Teton, which you can see bison every day. That's probably the, the most stressful thing is, is 
you can't do it. Your hands are tied. You can see them, but you can't do anything about them. They're across the boundary. And it's not like they're just coming up in crossing the boundary every day. They have everything they need in Grand Teton National Park. They have their water, their feed, their everything. So you're kind of, it's kind of a waiting game, essentially. And we're not down in the flats. We're up high. Like, we're hunting big aspen canyons, deep sagebrush, pine trees. Like, we're not down in the flats where they're migrating to. They're still up in their summer habitat. And this year with the, the moisture, the grass was phenomenal up there. Like, usually they kind of, the grass dries out and they start migrating down towards Jackson. Well, this year they hadn't. They're still super high. The rut is in full swing. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen bison rut in the wild, but it is intense. It is, uh, it's like watching antelope rut in essentially that like I saw bulls pull off and run 25, 30 mile an hour chasing cows. It was incredible to watch them, how they, how they worked those cows. But so, uh, that was, that was the first scouting day. We kind of felt everything out. The next day we rolled down in there. Well, just like any opening day, no matter how remote you are, no matter anything, there was probably, there was four other groups of hunters in there. Everybody was on foot except for the outfitter. He met the outfitter. He's a super nice guy. Um, and they were kind of running the same pattern we were. The other three foot guys, groups of foot guys, they were done after the first day. So they were in and out of there. Day two came around. We, we all saw the bison. They were 400 yards out in the park, and then they moved away from us. Day three comes along. The outfitter's now gone. It's just us. There's nobody in there but us. Now everybody's kind of panned out. Or in the first three days, everybody kind of played out. So we rode down in there, and the bison were like 800 yards out in the park. And when I say 800 yards, I'm talking across the valley, on another mountainside, working away from us, down towards water where they had the previous couple of days. And we ran into an older gentleman, and he was a he was a biologist for the Game and Fish, a retired biologist. And he said, "You guys keep doing this." He goes, "How many days are you here?" I said, 10. He said, you keep running this program every day. Come in here, run this line, glass, 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 keep your wind right, do this loop, and do it every single morning. So the bison move a lot at night. Um, he goes, and you'll catch them up in here. You'll be looking for lone bulls. That's what everybody kept telling us. And we're like, all right. Well, we'd seen anywhere from groups of 70 to 220 rutting. I mean, it was, Brian, it was, it was the coolest thing. And when they, like, roar, it sounds like a red stag mixed with, like, a freaking African lion. It's just a crazy sound these bulls make and you could hear it from three quarters of a mile away across those canyons you know you could hear those bulls just roaring and grunting and gloking and it was cool well the next morning so it's the fourth morning we ride up out of this canyon and i'm leading and i get to the top of my horse kind of letting him blow a little bit the other two guys are catching up to me and immediately i can hear these bison and we're three quarters of a mile from the boundary and i can hear them so i'm like man they got to be close and when we left them the day prior, they were within like 400 yards of the boundary and they were dropping into, I could tell on Google Earth, they were dropping into a spring that was below us. I didn't go down there and look. It was in the park, but there was water up high that they had finally found. And I was like, nice. It doesn't seem like they're going to drop off because every day prior, they had dropped all the way down to this big reservoir a mile away. And so we pop up on this ridge. And I'm riding, riding, riding. I ease through the aspens, and I look down, and on the glassing knob that we've been sitting on the past four days, I can see a lone. It's just cracking daylight. I can see with my naked eye. I can see a bull standing on our glassing knob, and I'm like, yes, like, they're here, you know? And so now it's like, this is when everything that you put into bow hunting, like, you got to make the most of it. I've been waiting for four days to have one opportunity. It's like, don't screw this up, you know? Um, so we tie up horses, grab our pack. 
get the wind right. We loop way down there, like I said, three quarters of a mile away. So I get the big loop and I get right on the park boundary and just start working my way. It was a south wind and we got to the north of them and just started easing in, easing. It's really rolling big sagebrush ridge with a spotted aspens and some pines. Kind of, I mean, it's, it's awesome bowhunting terrain, pretty open, but there's enough topography that you can, and the sagebrush, Jesus, sagebrush is way steep, but it's really loud sagebrush. It's got a bunch of uh, deciduous, I don't know what kind of plants they are, but little like shrubbery that's intertwined with it. So it's really loud to get out in the sagebrush and to really be effective. You know, you can move through it, but you're pretty loud. So, but it is way steep. So I'm easing through it, easing through it, and I come up over this knob, and I'm right on the park boundary, and there's probably there's probably 25 or 30 bison inside the national forest where I can hunt, and then there's probably 150 right on the line and outside of it. But they're in a bowl, so they're just meandering back and forth. Well, the way the wind's kind of coming out of the southeast, I got I got bison on my west side, so I can't just push down to the ones that are in the in the park because the ones that are out out of the park they'll wind me. So I just kind of have to just I'm working behind them slowly, just as they're kind of working away and all rutting. I'm just sliding in behind them, sliding in behind, kind of coyote in the herd, just like you would on elk. They're not necessarily moving like a herd of elk. They're just kind of just grazing and grunting and groaning. And they're coming in and out of the park. There's there's a and there's like when I see the boundary. There's nothing there. Like, if you can imagine, it's a steel post every 200 yards with a white sign on it. It says Grand Teton National Park. There's no definitive fence. There's no there's no anything. Um, there's a trail that you can see where the outfitters, like I said, have rode horses out year after year, and you can see that trail. So you're looking with your binoculars. You're looking for signs. And luckily, I had rode through there the past four or five days on my horse, and I had literally rode by this pine tree, and I recognized exactly where we were. And so... We sat there. I finally got within bow range of some cows, and they were like 40-some yards, and they're inside the park. I got a couple cows outside the park, and they're sitting there 46 to 55 yards, and I'm just waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, this giant bull comes out of the park, and he just he is butting every other bull out of the way, grunting. He goes in the bottom. He makes a big dust wallow. He pushes himself up. And there's another giant bull that I'd been watching that I was going to shoot. And he hooks him right out of the way like he's nothing. Like, I thought he was big, and then my bull comes and just smokes him out of the way. And I'm like, this is unreal, you know. And so he keeps working towards me, working towards me. And luckily, there was that cow, and she was been a hot cow because there was, like, a three-year-old bull that was pushing her around. Well, when that big bull saw that, he just came. He comes on the beeline right up the hill, and I'm ranging and ranging up to 56. 50 46 and at about 44 yards he stops and he starts pushing that cow around and he's bumping her and she kind of goes away from us a little bit and i can't do anything they are 15 feet on the wrong side of the line and so to start with there's a to also if you shoot a bison in the national forest and it runs back into the grand teton national park you are given a phone number with your license that you call and I don't know what they do. If they need pictures, if they need photos, if they need blood evidence, if they send a warden, what they do. But there is legalities where you can go retrieve your bison out of Grand Teton National Park if first blood and it dies and if first blood is in National Forest. If you do everything legal and it happens to walk back across some sagebrush and die on the Grand Teton National Park, you are 100% legal after some phone calls and some stuff to go get you to retrieve your game. So knowing all this, 
you are safe to shoot them. I know it's a sketchy thing, but there is, there's a number that comes. There, it happens all the time, I'm assuming, because they give you a phone number. So, anyways, with that being said, as they work up to me, work up to me, work up to me, this cow gets bumped, and this bull is right behind her, and he hooks her and pushes her, and she's about 15 yards in front of him, and she crosses. There's some yellow flowers there. I look back, he's back out, and I'm like, dude, I was like, when that bull gets to that, those yellow flowers, he's legal. Like, I could just, I could look with my binoculars, I could see the other sign, I knew we were legal. And Brian, you want to talk about intense, that bull, he lip curls, and he starts walking, just stiff leg, it pushes across that border, and he's right in my effective range. I drew back and settled that pan right as he stopped to sniff that cow. I didn't give him much. They were moving so much, I was nervous, you know, he was going to bounce back, and I let that arrow go, and clean pass through that arrow blew through a bison like it was butter and he didn't even know he was hit he just took two steps forward the cow spooked and so you know when you reload you look down for a split second to grab your arrow out of your quiver reload drew back in my mind i had assumed that bull had taken some more steps than he did because the cow blew out kind of far well he had only taken like two steps so he went from 58 yards to 62 yards and I put it on him again. Well, that time I put my 70 pin on him, just assuming that he'd gained about six or eight yards on me. And I hit him about seven inches higher, six inches higher than I wanted to. That one hit hard in that shoulder plate. But all he did is spin a 180 and face me and go down. Like there was nothing. It was first arrow zipped through him. It took me 12 seconds. You can see on video, 12 seconds later, I hit him with another arrow. He spins half circle, faces me. So from the first shot to the second shot to down, it was less than a minute. He only went about 12 yards, and he died in the National Forest. We didn't have to make any phone calls, and I about dropped to my knees because it was absolutely incredible. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that is wild. Like that. Yeah. Um, I know that was a long story, but that's, that's, that's the short of it. Like, it was, it was absolutely – and the Tetons are right there. Like, you couldn't have a better backdrop. It's the most uh, – most epic hunt. I think I've done a bighorn sheep. I've done a moose. It has to be one of the most epic hunts I've ever been on. It was just, uh, and then it's a huge animal. It's like the most iconic American animal. I feel one of them. And it was an absolutely amazing, amazing hunt. Dude, that is wild. What an adventure, man. Um, just on the horseback. And like you say, the setting there with the Tetons and the backdrop and then, um, you know, being able to experience the bison rut, which, you know, you talk about and talk about the noises, you know, I've, I've maybe been around some bison that were a little ruddy at times, but I've never experienced that. And especially never experienced it with a bow in my hands. You know, that is so wild. So uh, your setup that you built for those bison seemed like that thing performed flawlessly, like a great pass through right where you wanted the arrow. Uh, can't do any better than that. Yeah, you know, and you know what, I, you and I talked, and I'm a big Grim Reaper guy. It's all I've ever shot, and I know you're very, very familiar with him, too. And we both know Matt Bateman. You've actually had him on the podcast. And when I talked to Matt, I said, hey, man, I was going to try a fixed blade on this bison, huh? So he, I got some micro Hades from him, fixed blades. But you know, Brian, it's as it accurate as I had those fixed blades flying when I was 60 yards from that bison. I reached into my quiver and I grabbed my Pro Series three blade mechanical because I, <laughs> I knew that I could hit the spot that I was aiming at 60 yards. I knew that I could hit, I mean, a ping pong ball at 60. I feel very confident. And I grabbed that mechanical and I put it on there and that mechanical ate right through him. I mean, he literally did not know he was hit. That inch and three eighths blew through him. And my arrow was laying at 72 yards. He was dead at 74. 
So, yeah, that uh, I went to the old reliable mechanic. I sent Matt Bateman a picture, and he's just like, "Best broadhead there is," you know. And it's just like, <laughs> when you have when you have confidence in your equipment, it's hard to change. No matter what the species, I shoot an eighty pound bow. I got a thirty inch draw, five hundred forty grain arrow. It hit him hard, like. Um, so yeah, I did have the fix. And it's funny because Zach Bouton, he was watching me the day prior. I was, I was putting my broadheads on and he saw me take, put two fixed blades and then he saw me fill the rest of my quiver with mechanicals. And he goes, what are those for? He goes, I put my third arrow in and it was a mechanical. And he goes, he goes, that's going to be your first arrow. You know it? And I like laughed and I was like, ah, I don't know. We'll see, you know? And sure enough, I just, (laughs) the confidence you have when you killed so much with something i i couldn't divert off the path i've killed so many big heavy-bodied bull elk i've killed my heavy moose like everything's been killed with that broadhead and it works uh, flawlessly on a bison so yeah it's uh that setup works great yeah that's <laughs> cool man yeah you have so much confidence in it and you know it is you had to make a shot on that bison even being a big-bodied bull like I'd imagine it's thinking about it like an elk where it takes a precise shot or they don't die. And so, like, uh, when you went to pull the most accurate arrow out of your quiver, it happened to be the broadhead that you trust that you knew is going to do right and put it right in the spot. Uh, But, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I I love that. Matt Bateman and those broadheads, too. Man, he's a super solid guy. Um, But, yeah, so pumped for you, man. What an awesome adventure. And so, like, get done with that. And then um, probably roll into some early mule deer and some elk stuff. Man, those early mule deer, it just seems like these seasons come and go so fast, and you just have to make the most of them. And we all have to get work done, and we have responsibility. But it's like any day you can squeeze out of it, you got to spend a field and try to get on them. And I was... I was hunting that same 100-degree heat you were talking about, uh, elk hunting there early. I was I was mule deer hunting. Um, man, it, I mean, it makes for a little bit less movement and some sweaty walks, but, um, you know, the animals still have to be out in there, and they still have to feed, and there's still opportunity out there, and there's less guys when you have that kind of heat. So you probably rolled into some mule deer hunting, or did you go straight to elk hunting? You know, actually, I took a weekend there because it was still August. I had a weekend. We went and I killed an antelope, had my four-year-old daughter with me, and we spot and stalked an antelope. Um, epic, epic stock. Uh, actually, Zach, my hunting partner, he had killed a buck antelope. And uh, I, I I do hunt private land. I got a kid that I went to college with, and Zach and I have – we've been hunting down there since 2004. He's one of our best friends. He is in my wedding, I and mean, he's just a good dude. And he lets us come down to antelope hunt his place. So it's it's – it's one of the coolest, coolest things for my little girl. So with that being said, we went down on August weekend and we were, Zach was gutting his antelope and I'm standing there, we're looking and I see an antelope coming on a beeline. There's a water tank behind us. And uh, I took my little girl and uh, with a four-year-old, we crawled on our knees, crawled on our bellies and worked our way up this little sagebrush cut. And I got a 60 yard shot at an antelope. I put a stock on my little girl, which you met at the Western Hunting Summit and I got an antelope. So that was fun. Um, from there, I went straight to elk hunting. I wanted to try. I had a. I didn't have a limited quota tag this year. It was an over-the-counter tag. So um, we chased elk that first hot weekend. That weekend kind of played itself out. Went back to work for a few days. And that's when I told you I did that bomber trip, weekend trip. So that day, um, I hiked into a spot that I'm pretty familiar with. Um, I've only killed one bull in there, but I hadn't killed. I hadn't been back to this back canyon. And I wanted to get back in there. Well, 
I'd pass on a small raghorn. I had a pretty decent, and I'm not super picky on an over-the-counter Wyoming tag with a limited time I had. I just wanted a good representation of a bull. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for that 330 plus, 320 plus. I just want a, a really good representation of bull elk. And I got in there, and it was like nine o'clock in the morning, and it was it was after we'd had that. There was we had rain like the ninth or tenth, and it had cooled some stuff off. And uh, so I'm working down this canyon, and I'm not a big caller, but at that late in the morning, I, I was the movement had slowed down, so I will rip a bugle off in a big valley. And this canyon's a mile long, mile and a half long, and I rip a bugle off, and all of a sudden, out of the the trees, literally a mile away, I see a bull stand up. He had been bedded, and all of a sudden, his cows all stand up, and they started working their way to me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So... As they're working their way up this canyon, this bull is just firing off. I had bugled two times, and this bull is nonstop, just bugling, pushing his cows, pushing his cows, and they're working their way up to me. I don't know what the deal is. Phelps could get on here and tell you. I don't know. The cows started coming, and I started cutting the distance to them quietly, and they worked onto a bench that was below me. I had pretty good wind left to right. I can't say I had awesome wind. I trusted that the uphill thermals were going to be on the backside where I couldn't see where they were. They were in the sun. I had the feeling that they had nine 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 thirty in the morning. They had an uphill thermal. I had a left to right, and it was kind of those wind was starting to drop down on the timbered side of the ridge as I was working towards them. So I knew that I had some time to get to them. I worked down to them, and this bull's piping off. I had to go through a couple satellite bulls to get down in there, and Brian either loved it because I got down in there and. It was one of those times of like, do I stalk up over this edge and him be right there? Because I'd lost sight of him for probably 30 minutes. And I can't say that. I'd lost sight of him for probably 10 minutes as they dropped. And there was a bench below me. And it was it was a short bench, though. I could tell if I got to the top of it, I had probably a, at maximum, 60-yard shot where they, were, where they had last seen them. But I also took the chance of the wind being a little hairy right there. Yeah, I knew I had an uphill thermal, but it was left to right and it was they were they were gonna be going into the timber to bed, so it was the wind was kind of also cutting down into that timber. So I was like, Well, I'm actually gonna try a call and when I got to where the ridge brought like stair steps and I was about sixty yards from the actual like step where you could see off, I ripped off a bugle. I knew that I had to be sub one hundred yards from him. And when I let that bugle go, that bull cut me off so fast. And within seconds, I could see his antler tips coming. I stuck the bugle tube between my legs. Took, I had to take a half step because, like an idiot, when I let that bugle go, I was standing in the sunshine, and I was about a step away from a tree. Got in the shadow, and it was pure sage rush between me and that bull. And I hadn't ranged a thing, and all of a sudden, I see his antler tips coming. And he's just stiff leg and just drooling walk and coming right at me. And I'm like, holy smokes, here it comes. And... I'm in the shadow of that tree. I already had narrow knocks, and I didn't even have time to grab my rangefinder. So thank God for all the practice we do because it was one of those things where I'm looking at him, and I could tell there was a little little juniper bush he was coming past. I was like, that's got to be about 40, 45, and he's just working his way. He's just stiff leg. You just tell he's, like, looking everywhere. But I've got the sun directly behind me, and I got them in the shadow of the tree. So I'm as concealed as, as we, you know, we dream of stuff like that. He can't see me at all. The tree's about six foot five, and I'm about six foot three, so everything's good. He's walking at me, walking at me, just drooling. I have nothing for his eye to go behind. But as he starts to come to me, he's working a little bit to my right. Now, remember, my wind is blowing from left to right, so I have about eight to ten more steps he's got to make, and he's going to catch my wind. So 
But as he starts panning me, I can go from seeing both eyes to now I can just see one eye. So when I can just start seeing that one eye, I'm like, all right, a little better chance of coming to full draw. And I just start drawing back and drawing back. And I'm slowly pulling that bow back. And he isn't even looking at me. He's just drooling. You can hear him just heavy breathing, stiff leg. He's postured up. And I finally break over, get to full draw. And then I give him about 38 yards. And I settle that 40-pin just tight, tight, tight behind that shoulder. Because I do, he's slightly quartering to me. And uh, when he, I give him a chirp and he stops. And I settle that pin and gave him a good arrow. And I watched that arrow disappear to past the gold tip symbol. I mean, I only had about eight inches arrow sticking out of him at a 30 inch arrow and it buried. And it was one of those ones when that arrow hits, he spins and in the sun, he's in this bright sunlight and yeah, I could see blood instantly just when I was like, that's such a good feeling when you have instant blood, the arrow hit exactly where my pin was and he spins and a quick crash. I can hear it, but you know, you still give him, he, he did the old, uh, had too much pride to die in sight. <laughs> and he boils over the edge of that ridge and I hear a bunch of crashing and I see a cow go blowing out below me and I see another cow go blowing out and I sit down and I get my top pack and grab my Nalgene bottle and my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm sitting there going, man, I might've just smoked one. And I had, had service on top of the ridge and I had just called my wife and checked in cause she hadn't heard from me since the prior day. And I said, you know, babe, I said, I got one more canyon to check, and then I might pull out and go to plan C. You know, like I was, I had backpacked into this spot, and I was already thinking I was going to pull out. I just wasn't seeing a lot of sign. And uh, anyways, I hiked up back up the ridge. I thought the best thing I can do is give him his, you know, his 45 minutes. I'm going to hike back up the ridge and uh, eat my sandwich, call the wife, called her. And she goes, you just called me 40 minutes ago. I was like, I just stuck an arrow on a good bull. You know, bow hunting can happen just like that. It can turn around so fast. And, uh, but yeah, I hiked back, gave him 40 minutes and I hiked back down in there and man, it was, uh, it was one of those blood trails you just love. You know, the first, first jump he made, there was blood and it was one of those blood trails. I'd hit him mid lung. It wasn't, it wasn't high by any means. It was right where I put the pin, but it was one of those blood trails where his, it was a little bit rained the night, the two nights before. So there was his tracks and you almost had to look six foot out to the right because it was sprained, had so much pressure that it wasn't bleeding on top of his track, you know, a foot off of his track. It was bleeding six feet off of his track. So, um, yeah, like I said, he had a little bit of pride. He made it about 30 yards over that roll and he button hooked behind me and he only went 62 yards and he crashed right there underneath me in the cedars. So, but man, what a boy. He's a big five actually on the one side. I didn't, I, all I could tell was he had big ivory tips and he's coming in. He had really good royals and he has good bottom ends. And uh, he was super narrow. He's only 29 inches wide. But as he was coming at me, I was like, man, this is a gorgeous bull, like heavy bodied. And But yeah, he ended up being a big five by six and I couldn't be happier. And uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. So yeah, September 10th, I had a big bull elk on the ground and Got him all boned out. Died on a north facing slope, which couldn't be any better. Had trees to hang the meat in right where he died. So I got the meat hung up, and I actually backpacked out of there. And then I took my horses in by myself the next day and packed all the meat out by myself. So it was a sweet solo trip. Soloed in, backpacked in, got in, killed, and then slept that night. Went back in the next morning with horses by myself and packed him out and had a big bowl on the ground and a freezer full of meat with that guy. So... Actually, I have a freezer full of my mom's freezer full because I have a freezer full of bison meat. There was 400, <laughs> just under 500 pounds of meat that I got off of him. So, actually, the bull elk's in my mom's freezer. <laughs> Man, it's but, just, yeah. um, 
so fun to hear you talk about season like um you know it's it's nothing's guaranteed in today's day and age there is like a lot of hunting pressure out there and it's you know even for us guys that have so much experience it's not easy and we have the same self-doubt like sure we've got we've got better at believing in ourselves and believing in our hunting skill and believing we will turn up a bull elk but that doesn't mean like every day every spot we have to decide to go in there and you were on your backup plan you were dang near to your third backup plan in a short amount of time and uh, the the whole reason why you see consistent success is you keep this positive attitude this positive belief and you keep putting forth effort and and when you put forth effort like there are no guarantees like you've got a good spot that you want to go into that you've maybe been into before you've found elk there before so you know it's like a good elk spot but there's still no guarantee that you're going to run into an elk in there but you put forth that effort you go hike in there and go check and i just find myself every morning and night like you have to make a decision where am i going to hunt where am i going to backpack into or where am i going to go hike into and each spot it's easy to get caught up in your own mind and start thinking that the the grass is greener on the other side. Like start in a spot, don't hear any bugles in the dark or don't hear any bugles in first light. It's really easy to say, oh, there's there's no elk in here. I really need to go in this drainage. But it's like you, you have this morning or this evening where you have activity, where these elk are up and rutting and uh, where they're visible. And so – you just have to like be present in the spot you're at and go, okay, whether there's elk in here or not, I'm going to give it my all in here. I'm going to be in here at the right time. I'm going to glass the right meadows. I'm going to listen in this drainage or try to locate with a bugle like you did. And you go give it your all. And it's amazing how many times you just hear a faint bugle out there. And it's just like, oh, I think that was a bugle. And start walking that way. And pretty soon then you're hearing this bull bugle and then it can just erupt. I mean, before you know it, it can be an elk party with three, four bulls and blow up and they bugle till 12 o'clock and you capitalize and get narrow in a bull. Like, that's how quick bow hunting changes. And so it really is just keeping this positive attitude, uh, being happy for your time and like immersing yourself in this mountains and in this endeavor of chasing bull elk. And you keep making these decisions, and then eventually you're going to run into them. And then it's about capitalizing on those decisions, just like your bison. Like, um, you know, all our hunting experience comes into play once we locate an animal. That me and you have lived our life bow hunting 365. You know, where bow hunting has been everything for the last 20, you know, 25. I mean, I'm maybe dating myself here, but, you know, a bunch of years where we've really dedicated ourselves to bow hunting. And so we've seen everything under the sun. We've stalked and messed up on animals. We've got it right on animals, but we spent 25 years of learning the winds and the mountain winds and the thermals and directionals and how they operate. And I can't tell you, like, how much that comes into play. And then also, like, elk, it's this this moving stock or this um, mobile stock, you know, where mule deer is like methodical and slow and planned out. And sometimes, you know, you're reacting to the situation, but elk, it just seems like you've got to go get into them and then adapt to the situation you're given, adapt to where the elk are when you get there. Cause they're never in the same spot as where you saw them at. And so every situation is different, but it's familiar to you and I, because we've been there so many times before we've messed up encounters. And that's not to say that we get every encounter, right? Like I had some close calls on great bulls that I would have loved to shoot that just didn't come together. But I, I played everything really patient this year, like uh, slowing down at the right time, 
really locating elk well, really making these these strong plays on them. Like I I got winded once where I had a strong wind in my face and it seemed like it was in my face the whole night and coming down and just got into a weird bowl or basin and that happened to be where I located the elk and I saw him like a little farther right than I wanted to see him. Tried to kind of back out and get the wind right, but it was just swirling in this timber in this little basin. And so, you know, I can make mistakes as well or it's not going to go right every time and especially these animals have such keen instincts you know that they're really good at catching here those those bulls just have a knack for being on the other side of the cows or can't tell you how many times i could shoot the whole herd of cows were in bow range and the bulls just out you know messing with another bull or roaming down into a different area or you know you just can't get any closer because you've got elk in between you knowing knowing when to freeze and when to move and when to push it and when to hold back like all those those instincts we've honed over the years but it it gives us like a a really good chance at success and it's it, it really is about that that positive mindset which i know you have all the time you know that you love bow hunting and and we love bow hunting whether it's good or whether it's it's crappy we like uh we find solace in like chasing these animals and the challenge of it and being immersed in the mountain so i know even on a tough hunt like like i'm having fun and i still believe that i'm going to create an opportunity and, and then that you're so clutch during your shot man you made two great shots on your bison your antelope and now your bull elk and I've shot with you on the 3D course. Um, you're a tear behind the bow, and it's, you know, it's just a testament to all the work you've put in, you know, with all the years of archery, you know, and the the same way I have, dedicating myself to my craft. But boy, there still is, like, to be able to to uh, uh, to be able to transpose that great archery skill and that great archery shot, to be able to do that on animals is really that next level, and so. When you're shooting at animals, what's your process to really settle in your pin? Because I'm sure you you had a, a period in bow hunting where maybe you'd rush too quick or the shots wouldn't go exactly where you wanted or you weren't transposing that skill from targets and behind your bow to animals. Like, like what's switched for you or what goes through your head when you're executing one of those shots, Sam? It's funny. You, this is going to lead into a story but of this year. Um I look at all those shots and as younger, when I was younger, you're totally right. Like they would just kind of just, it would just happen. And you really couldn't recall the shot. Like it was like you used to, I've heard you explain it's like a car crash. Um, no, I would say that I really try to tell myself, everybody's heard the Joel Turner, you know, his shot IQ. But before I'd even met Joel, I only met him this summer. I've always for myself, it may sound arrogant, but it's in my own head. What I do is when I, if I can get those bows, if I can get my bow drawn back and I feel like I, on that bull up, once I break over and I'm at full draw and that animal has no idea I'm there and I'm settling that pin, it's like, I got you. Like I literally tell myself if I've made it that far, there's always been this thing in my head that's like, I got you. Like I've, I've made it. This is, I've worked so hard to get the full draw. I've now all the practice, everything else is, is now it came down to this point. And so when I break over and those pins are slowly settling in, you know, you're breathing and you're bringing those pins in on that animal behind that shoulder, you have that spot, you have that angle, all of that's went through my head. And I, I, I know I've tell myself, like, I got you now, like I'm here. And I just, I, I, that is that just that thing has always kind of, um, it's kind of calmed me down. And 
Um, in younger years, yeah, maybe I just kind of grab a hold of that trigger and away we go. But um, as it as I've progressed, I I can really focus on like I can tell you on that bull elk this year. I can picture that muscle in his shoulder as he was walking and he was quartering to me. So I really, really, really had to be conscious of that shoulder. And I waited for him to take that one step forward. I chirped the cow call right as he took that step forward, so that I knew that I'd cleared that shoulder. But I can I can honestly tell you I watched that forty pin set right behind that shoulder as he stepped, as he stepped. I was casting a little bit of a shadow. And so I don't know what I do, but I just really focus on it's easy to sit here and say pick a spot, you know, but I really do focus on my pin bearing down right where I want to hit. Um, the bison was the same way. He had a uh, really, really long hair coming off of his shoulder. I knew I wanted to be in the bottom third because bison are very deceiving. They got a big old shielded guard up high. <laughs> and uh, as you'll see, if, as Film Glacier film comes out, it shows my second shot. You'll see that I hit just a little bit high on that second shot, and you can see what that shoulder plate does with an arrow. But um, the same with that bison. He had really long hair going to that, that smoother hair that starts right behind his shoulder onto his belly. And I really had a spot there that I could see. Um, I could see as he was walking, I was at full draw, and I could settle my pin on it. And I just really focus on that. I've got the full draw. I've done the hard part. Like all the movement is done. Now it's up to me to just pull through that trigger on that spot that I'm that I'm looking at. Or I can't even. Maybe it's not even that spot, but it's it's just visualizing that shot. I know my pins. I've shot so much that it's it's instinct. Like I like I tell people, I shoot a I shoot a ton of pins. Um, I roll eight pins in a black gold sight. I also have a sight that has a mover too, but I, um, on the bison hunt, I roll a, a, a regular surge head with eight pins and I draw back and immediately my eye goes to the, my amber pin, which is 40 yards. And so it's, it's shooting and all that practice comes down to just, I look right away. I'm like, all right, there's my 40 pin. I either go up or down, whatever I need to do from there. And then I just visualize, I look right past that pin and I settle that that pin is on my spot, but I look right past it to that spot that I want to hit or where that crease is or where that shadow is and pull through that shot. And all this being said, I whiffed it. So then if you want to roll into that, I, if you want to elaborate on that, Brian, go ahead. But I could tell you about my mule deer because my mule deer after it's funny because you just brought this up because I told my wife, I said the last two seasons I've been, I don't know, I had six or seven tags last year. I've spilled four or five tags this year with my bear, and every shot has broke like I wanted it to. I mean, I've watched almost every animal that died in sight, except for, I think, my bull elk this year, and maybe my mule deer last year, one of them made it out of sight, but I've been very, very fortunate. And I was I was joking probably two nights after I got my bull out, and I said, you know what? I said, the old hunting gods, they're going to strike down on me because I've had such good luck. You know, <laughs> if you bow hunt long enough, if you shoot at stuff long enough, you're going to have an oops, you're going to have a miss, you're going to have something's not going to go the way you planned, right? I, I maybe, maybe that's just me, but I just, I've bow hunted long enough of 22, this is my 23rd season, like, I've had some oopses, and so the next weekend I went out on my mule deer hunt, I put this bomber of a stock on a mule deer. It was one of those ones where they bedded on the highest ridge where they could see all the way around them. I mean, and there was enough bucks in this group that the way they covered this ridge top, they could see, honestly, they could see 270 degrees in any part of the day. So trying to get around on them was, was epic. Well, by mid-afternoon, I was able to lay a stock in on this buck where I had to go probably, honestly, probably a mile, mile and a half around, down below, come up the backside, 
hope that my thermals were good on one kind of the grace of the old hunting gods throw it to them that the thermals were doing what i thought they were on the back side of this hill which indeed they were and then also using the directionals that i knew were coming out of the northwest to play in on this stock and i rolled in on this stock to be three and a half hours by myself solo hunt again i work up on this point brian and i work up there and i work up there in my socks and i peek over and I got a num- my number two buck. He's a big three by four missing the back fork on the one side. with was a cool cheater. But there's this t- super tall, clean four by four that just one of those bucks, he, when he was bedded, you know, is one where he caught me because his son, he caught me and meaning like he got my heart going because you could just see his, his antlers just had the sun shining on them before his whole body was darkened. You know what I mean? In a shadow. And uh, I saw him. I slid up. Anyways, I had him. Oh, right there in my effective range and it was a super super steep angle my toes were downhill and i took all this into account as i was making this shot when i came to fall I had no idea i was there was grazing he was feeding left his head was to the left i really don't know what i did brian um the wind was hitting me hard from right to left and maybe the wind got me a little bit but wind usually at 55 yards doesn't affect my arrow much um, maybe two, three inches, but maybe it was blowing harder down where he was at, and I didn't account for that. So I held um, right tight to the shoulder like I like to, and uh, he had no idea I was there, like I said, and I pulled through my shot. Everything broke. My height was perfect, but I hit him forward. I hit him in front of the shoulder, through, through the shoulders, but through the front of his shoulders. Non-vital shot, like not lethal, and I watched that arrow hit, and you know that I'm sure you've had that feeling that hits your stomach like son of a bitch. Like, oops, I guess. And uh, now it's all on me. And so all this being said about the shot process, that's where I hit that buck right off the bat. This is me being 100% honest. This is bow hunting. And I'm on a big high knob where thankfully being on this high knob, I had all the advantage to see because obviously these bucks loved it. So it's the highest spot in this country. And I'd watched these bucks enough to know there was a saddle behind me. So as fast as I could, he swung around behind me. I grab a second arrow. I whip around the ridge and I get ready and set up in this saddle. He gave me a second shot. And at this point now, like everybody talks about practicing long distance. Now it is my job. I have stuck an arrow through this deer that it's probably, it's going to be fatal. I don't know if it's going to be in that day, but in the next weeks, like I've, I've hit this deer hard. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's my duty to now get another arrow in him. This is, this is, I guess, the, the bad side of bow hunting, which it's any hunting. It can happen, right? And so this buck comes around, and I clip a branch, and I didn't get a second arrow in him. So now I get, now I have to hustle back to my boots, and I keep eyes on this buck as best as I can. And it is, it's one of those ones where you've already put, I don't even know. I, I know I ended up just under 20 miles or right at 20 miles that whole day, but I was smoked and I was almost out of water, but it it doesn't matter now. Like I owe it to this deer to put everything. I live by a motto, predators never quit. And it came full circle that day. And so anyways, this buck happened to get in with some does and him being a little bit spooked, kept these does spooked and it kept him moving. And maybe it played out in my fact, in in my, in the good or not. I don't know how it works, but anyways, I was able to just, just dog this buck and I just kept eyes on him at a jog, jog walk jog walk he would go down through a basin i would jog behind him out of sight we ended up doing this for a little over two miles that night and darkness came in on me 
And when darkness came in on me, I could never, ever, he bedded down one time. I got in on him, couldn't get a shot. Some does spooked and they carried the adrenaline, carried him with him. When I left him that night, he'd went into a bottom and it got dark on me. And I just put a pin on my map and I had to back out. I was in there at daylight the next morning and it took me over two hours with glass and working around this basin. And I found this buck again, bedded. Um, then again, I slid in on him. I got to about 95 yards, no shot opportunity and some does bumped. They could see me and some does bumped and got him up. And he started this walk where I tra- trailed him for another, ugh. it ended up being 6.4 miles. I followed this buck after the initial hit 11 o'clock the next morning. I kept dogging this ridge, big ridge, and I touched every single timber, little, little, little tiny timber patch that I could. And on the third one, I worked around in 11 o'clock this morning. I found him bedded. I stuck a good arrow in him at 26 yards, and the saga was over. So all of the shot being said, all of the work that I put in, I put an arrow that hit a buck, perfect height, but I was about eight inches forward, and it did not puncture long. It blew all the way through him. I blew right through the front shoulders of that buck. So he was hurt hard, but he still went 6.4 miles on my track or my Onyx, and I didn't get until 11 o'clock the next day. So there's the good, there's the bad of bow hunting, but I did get a second arrow in the initial buck that I shot, and it was probably one of the hardest. I mean, that buck, I had 32 miles in chasing that one deer in – less than 24 hours so you just sometimes they make you earn it and it's not the uh, it's not the ideal exact kill that i wanted for that buck it's not the death that i wanted for to have but um it's what it's what's the truth that's what happened and i really am not super i don't know if i canted my bow a little bit on that shot i remember bubbling up really good because it was so steep coming off there but that's that got me this year so that's that's part of bow hunting i guess Dude, good effort. There are not many guys that would have recovered that deer, rolling 6.2 miles with an arrow in it. And and really, you know, at this point, it you know, who knows what went wrong on the shot? But the deal is, is it's it's not a it's not a perfect science. That no matter how good you are, no matter how good you are at your execution, there's so many variables that an arrow can just hit a little left or right, or a little high low, or maybe that's where the shot broke pulling back. But it's just, um, you know, that is part of bow hunting. And the like, uh, if you haven't ever had it happen to you, then uh, you're either lying or you haven't bow hunted long enough. Like that is part of it, and it is. You know, it is kind of the ugly part of bow hunting that that can happen and can create this this encounter. But you persevered, like you kept after that deer. There is not many guys that would have recovered that deer, that would have jogged behind it, kept catching it in the next basin, and then the next day when he disappears and looking in those thick trees and that that timber patch, and then you saw him before he saw you. And a lot of times, those finish shots. We put so much pressure on our shoulders to to be lethal and to make good shots and to give these animals a a quick, clean death, you know, is like our goal always is to give Mm -hmm. them a perfect arrow. But, boy, there's a lot of pressure when you got one hit, and it's like a bit – you know, those animals act a bit like they were stung by a bee, like they're really jumpy, especially when you got one arrow in them. Their will to survive is so strong, and they know that a predator's after them. And so it really takes – like you, you have to be clutch in those moments to get in and to finish them off. And like, you know, I know that I've had this second arrow, you know, a bunch of animals over my hunting career 
And um, a lot of those shots, there's more pressure than the first shot because you know you got totally him injured. Right. And if you blow him yep. out one more time, he may go forever. You may lose the blood trail. You may never find him, you know. And so yep. there's a lot of pressure yep. on your shoulders. But I, I love hearing about your shooting process as well, um, Sam. Like um, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, you practice so much and you're such a good shot with your bow. But the way you, you transpose that skill into animals is to really – like everybody says, pick your spot, but it's really pick your spot. It's so easy. You just, you're trying so hard to get in range that you almost get a shot at an animal. And when you first start off, you just want to get that shot gone. You just want to get that shot yeah. at that animal. And so you almost just, if your pin's anywhere close, you just buck the shot. And it's not a precise way to shoot, and it's not the way you shoot on target. So it sounds like, um, you really settle your pin, and I love how you said that you stare through your pin right at the animal where you want to hit. That's the most accurate way to shoot is just just let that pin float. But the difference between breaking a bad shot and a good shot is like maybe a second or two. Like that shot breaks so good, but it's not just putting your pin where the animal is and breaking the shot. It's putting your pin where you want it to go on that animal and then just letting it float there as that aiming starts to come in. And the longer you aim, like like in seconds or you know possibly tens of seconds, the, the longer you hold that pin where it needs to go, that float starts to slow down right in that spot. And it's really trying to break the best shot on an animal that you can break. And so, like, I love how you described it, looking through your pin and you're staring at the spot that animal is and you're just letting that pin float around that spot as you break your shot. Uh, man, that's good stuff. And it takes years to harness that or to realize that. And so now, you know, you've done it on enough critters where it's second nature to you to make sure that pins exactly where you want it as your shot breaks, which, um, you know, is the proofs in the pudding, like a bunch of good critters in the last handful of years or every year that you bow hunt, you know, you're able to put down with your bow. Uh, but I love hearing that story of that, that mule deer when things don't go right. And like I say, I don't think it was anything on your part or, um, you know, the devil's in the details. So you kind of think back to the shot and go, gosh, was there more wind than I thought? Or did I camp my bow a little bit more, which pushed it to the front shoulder? But you know, you executed the best shot you could. There's no doubt in my mind that you settled your pin and executed. It's just like it it just went, it, you know, it doesn't go in the 12 ring on every foam target either. Like, you know, you guy can miss his mark by a little bit. But, um, man, amazing perseverance. Yeah, that's like a great story. I like predators never quit. And and sometimes we're faced with that with a bow hunter is is cleaning up or giving that, that bucker full effort. And it would have been really easy to, um, you know, not find blood or to give up on that buck and go, gosh, I'm just not going to get him. Instead, like you said, 32 miles of chasing that buck, six miles after you put an arrow in him, uh, you finished the deal on that buck, man. That's, that's, um, uh, that's an amazing story in itself. Yeah. Well, thanks, Brian. It's just, I think it's one of those ones if guys are listening that it's, like I watched that deer, you know, like I, I watched him after I just hit him, you know, there was times where we'd hit big, big openings where I, I was, you know, three, there was times where I'd get, oh man, there was even times where I kicked my boots off because he bedded two times is all in all of that. And I kicked my boots off once and I took off on him and you know what happens when you kick your boots off. Well, the wind, they're so smart, even a wounded animal, he would bed with the wind at his back or he would walk with the wind at his back. Once they're wounded, he was walking with the wind at his back. So he was so damn smart, you know, just that instinct. 
And there was one time where I kicked my boots off and I had embedded and he was a hundred, but he was over a roll and I needed to get up that roll just so I could see some body. And he winded me. Well, he went up a, a bottom where I thought I can sneak up around this finger. Well, there I am three quarters of a mile from my boots now in my socks, running down a ridge, trying to keep up with him <laughs> to get a second arrow in him. Only thing that saved me there is when he hit a, a ridge top. He, he, he was when he crested through the saddle. He beat me by a little ways, and I didn't get a shot. He went down in this long, long bottom, and it was, it was open, and he was on a cow trail, a beef cow trail, and he was just walking head down, and just not as a walking pace. He wasn't running. He was just walking. It allowed me to jog, and now I'm light. You know, I have nothing on, no pack or nothing, but and my socks. And I haul ass back, get my boots on, and then I jog all the way back up there. Now he gets, now he's like 1,400 yards or 1,200 yards ahead of me. And I was able to get on this rim and run this big rim around him. And that's when I lost sight of him. That was the last time I lost sight of him. But, I mean, there's, you just, you just got to remember to stay after it. Like, you owe it to that animal to put everything you can into getting them. And I watched him drink. He got to water. I watched him wade out into some, like, knee-deep water crossing the creek. And I watched him drink. So who knows if he would have lived or not. But it didn't matter to me. I had put an arrow in this buck. Maybe guys would have seen that. And they'd have been like, I mean, by that night, you know, where he had laid, he had licked all the blood off of his shoulder right arrow, both sides. You could, you couldn't even tell he was a wounded buck, to be honest with you. I just knew it was him. And uh, so who knows? He may have lived. He may have. I, I owed it to this animal. It was mine. I was going to notch my tag. I told my wife, I said, I'll notch my tag if I don't get this buck. Like, I I'd put that much into it and I knew it was a hard shot. And anyways, long story short. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the most gratifying. Um, yeah, it wasn't the ideal death for him, but it was the most satisfying for me feeling that I'd done all my due diligence to harvest this buck and it, it paid off. It was, it was, it was absolutely incredible. You want to talk about an overwhelming feeling when that, my second arrow, I knew it drove home It blew hard into him center ribs and he went a hundred yards and stopped and flipped over and it was just, it was one of those things where it was just like, holy smokes, like the ups and downs of bow hunting, the highs and lows, the everything you talk about all year, the scouting you do, like it all came into that hunt. Like the stain in shape. And like people say, yeah, you don't, have to be in, you don't have to be in that good of shape to kill a bull elk off of the road or to go find a buck a mile from the road. But to do what I did that day, thank God I go to the gym every day and thank God I take my fitness so serious because, I mean, I had a 40-pound pack on, 35-pound pack on full of men. I hunt some dry country. I probably had six liters of water on me that day. I had everything, you know, to go and to jog after a deer with all your camp on your back. And you know how it is. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a he man. I screwed up and I owed it to this deer and thank God I had the fitness I did to keep up with him or else I wouldn't have him. So it's a, a lot goes into what we do. And I'm thank, thankful that I, that I put everything into it all year because I needed every ounce of it that day to get that buck. Yeah, well, you won't say it. I will. I think you're he man. <laughs> it's like, uh, man, it's wild. It does. Like the better shape we're in, the more success we see. It's a, there's a direct correlation. And sure, maybe we don't need that fitness on every hunt, or you know, maybe we don't need it on every animal we kill. But it definitely comes into play. And if it isn't the the physical side of things, taking yourself to your limit, like your buck in dry country and so many miles. You know, it's the mental side to keep after that buck, to keep putting forth effort, to keep making those tough hunts even when we're tired, to keep getting up in the morning, you know, two hours before daybreak to get to our spots. Like it's that it sharpens our mental side as well. And so uh, I've had a really good C 
season with my shooting and um, things. Don't you agree? Like that mental side of things, oh. it just sharpens it, right? When you put in so well, much he, work, it's nothing come season. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Like you go on and when you go on your runs and it's 20 below zero or 10 below zero and you're running in the snow in January or say you're running in the snow even in February or March. And now like there's, you're kind of in the wool. Like those days right there, I think are the days that count when it's February, when it's March, when it's April, when we're months out from seasons and I don't go run every day. Like you, I get up and I go to the gym every day and I push myself every single day. I think that is, you just harden your mind. So I don't want, like everybody's like, Oh, you go to the gym. It's like, I don't want to get up and get out of my warm, cozy bed and get my ass to the gym every single morning at four thirty. Like I don't want to, but I, I have to, like if I want to be efficient in doing what I love, like, that's what it takes. And I know that sounds, it sounds, um, I don't know, it, maybe it sounds cocky, it, 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 but it's the truth. That it's, it's 100% in, in September when I have a day like that. I look back at all those days of training, all those days of busting my ass at work, pounding nails up on a roof when it's 100 degrees. Like that, that plays into it too. Working hard and having that mindset of we got to get this done. Just like you said, comes full circle from working life to hunting life. It, Whatever you do, like do the job the same. Like how, I don't, there's a quote that's something like that. However you do one thing, it's how you do everything. That's right. And it 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 all it all played into that that day. And I just I truly truly feel that like it takes a hunt like that to remind you why maybe. Um, I can't say like my elk hunt this year. It was a grinder too. Everything's been a grinder this year with the heat and over the counter tags. There's nothing that's a given. So everything's been a grinder. But that deer really like it makes you sit back and go. All right, this is why I do it. That's this exactly why right. I, I bust my ass all years because of stuff like this. Well, it's just momentum, right? It's like making yourself do it. And, and you said it like you don't feel like getting out of your cozy bed and going to work out, but you make yourself do it. It's like momentum. Once you start like with your physical fitness, once you start running or you start lifting or you start in these routines, then it's easy to keep up or it's easy to keep that momentum. And, and you're right. Like, um, you know, you'd think two guys like us that love bow hunting with every fiber in their being that we're chomping at the bit every day to go get our workouts in. But um, you said it best. Like, man, I don't feel like it every day. I always feel I always feel better after a run. I always feel better after a lift or after CrossFit. Like after I do it or yep. after I get started, it's fine. But sometimes the finding the motivation after, you know, like you say, a long construction day in the heat. Um, you know, like like yesterday, I was I was pouring um, um, uh, concrete countertops, and so I had my dad finishing them, and I was just the mix guy, where you know you mix. You know, thirty-five. I was doing the same thing yesterday. That's so funny. I was yeah. mixing concrete. We were pouring footers in a barn, but I was mixing concrete yesterday, dude. It was hot for a September day. That's funny. Yeah, hot. <laughs> You're mixing concrete. I'm walking it all in, pouring it all in. Like, I don't know how many pounds I lifted yesterday. Maybe six, seven thousand pounds by the time it was. <laughs> you know, you get done all mixing, carrying in buckets of concrete and pouring them in there. Uh, but. Did I feel like running last night at four thirty, five o'clock? I mean, it's hunting season right now. I'm not hunting the evening, and it's like, well, I I better just go for a run and get it in. And it's um, 
you know, I don't always feel like lacing up my shoes, and I've sat in my truck at a trailhead before 20, 30 minutes when it's <laughs> raining, and it's like just – it's like, well, I really can't turn around and drive home. I don't feel like running, and I don't have anybody watching me or keeping tabs on me. I could go home, and, and my it's so normal for me to work out and run. My wife hardly even asks anymore if I worked out. So I could come home, and there would be no consequences to not going for a run other than myself beating myself up. Uh, and I've sat there, and it's tough to get my shoes on or tough to get on the trail. And anymore, I've just got good at just throwing on my shoes and just getting out there and knowing I'm going to feel good once I'm out there and knowing it's not that big a deal. So I've kind of got rid of that mental struggle of if I'm going to do it or not or procrastinating it. Now I just throw on my stuff if I've got the time and I go get it in. But we're not superhuman. We have the same self-doubt when we're in the mountains and we're not finding animals. We have you know, that, that same, you know, uh, 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 thoughts in our head about not working out today or not getting it in and, and, um, you know, but we get it in anyways. And that's how you build those calluses and that mental strength is it's just day after day of doing things that you don't want to do and making yourself do them. And it's not even, it's like, again, it just comes back to the mindset. It's just like getting your mind right to go get work done, getting your mind right to go get a workout, getting your mind right to wake up when your alarm comes off. Like like discipline is just these small victories day in and day out. It's it's not like this big grand scheme of things like I, you know, I make a plan for my training or make a plan for the season, but really it comes down to every day putting forth effort, you know, and 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 that's truly what you know, uh, uh, what, what makes me the hunter I am and definitely what makes you the hunter you are. And, uh, just, there's so many similarities. We are cut from the same cloth and I just love to see you working so hard and love to see you succeed year after year. And there isn't a, there isn't a year that goes by that you don't arrow trophy critters and you run a, a high percentage of success and it's just due to all the work you put in, man. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. I always, I always say, you know, like people always have like these New Year's goals. They're gonna, I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna do this. And man, my thing is always just I always say consistency creates dedication, and then dedication creates consistency. Because people always say I'm gonna dedicate myself to this. Did well, it's got to start somewhere. And it's like these building blocks. I think we talked about this maybe when we were with Grady. I don't remember, but I'm, I know I think I probably mentioned it to you. But I always just it's always consistency. Like you got to start somewhere, whether it's like going to the gym or it's like going for a walk two days a week, and then pretty soon now you're jogging. Now you're jogging two days a week. Well, once you start seeing what jogging two days a week looks like, then jogging three days a week, I mean, all of a sudden now you can run a mile. Now you can run a mile. Now you can run two miles, or you go to the gym and you you start creating this little consistent, just being consistent about whatever it is. Get up and go for a walk. Get up and go to the gym for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? For two or three days. Then all of a sudden you start seeing results. And then once you start seeing these results, then all of a sudden there becomes kind of a dedication to it because now you're starting to see the results. And so now you're becoming dedicated. And with that dedication, now you're becoming more consistent because you've seen the results. And it's just, it's a, it's a cycle for me. So consistency creates dedication. Dedication creates consistency. And I think that's that's with anything that that's totally totally with shooting your bow too. Like shoot your bow a couple of days and you'll start seeing you get better. I mean, yeah, there's all the target panics and all of this, but for me, that's that's really how I look at things. When it's really really when it comes to getting in shape, I've I found that that's just that's a big thing. It's just being consistent. It creates dedication, and once you're dedicated, then the consistency just evolves with that. So 
it's just like you're saying, I guess, but that's just a saying that I have that always goes. I give guys at the gym a hard time, and they'll miss a couple of days, and I'm always like, consistency saves dedication, dedication saves consistency, boys. Like, I'm always kind of a smart ass about it, but that's, it's something I truly believe. Oh, I love it, man. It uh, fits perfectly into what we're talking about. Yeah, it's so true, man. That's exactly right. Well, um, uh, you've been putting together these films for Stone Glacier. I can't wait to see uh, your bison hunt. Man, I love all those guys over there at Stone Glacier. They produce such good gear, uh, such a great company. I'm so gra- glad that you're uh, working on projects with them. And then you had a mule deer hunt that came out on Stone Glacier as well, uh, like last year, right? Yeah, yeah, they uh, they filmed the mule deer hunt last year, and on um, this bison hunt, I'm so stoked for it. I've seen some of the clips, you know, and man, I'm excited. Zach Bowden, he's a he's a wizard with the camera. Uh, Jordan Gill did the photography. Yeah, Jordan Gill did the mule deer hunt last year. It turned out epic. You know, like I've never seen myself in that. I've always edited a few of my own little self film stuff on YouTube, and it's it's whatever. But when you see a professional edit like my mule deer hunt last year it was it was something to see it was it was really cool and it was a fun hunt that was a grinder too you know you dealt with the heat and all that stuff and that was really fun to see and yeah so this bison hunt with stone glacier and yeah those guys are just incredible incredible group of guys to work with incredible gear um i love everything that they they do and yeah i'm excited for i'm excited for you to see it it's uh it was awesome. Zach Bowden was right over my shoulder on that shot and on that stock. So we didn't we didn't miss a minute of action. Like everything was everything was caught on camera. So I'm excited for uh I'm excited for like my wife, my dad, my mom to see it too. It's just it's incredible when you put so much into hunting and everything you love and to have a professional cameraman and one of the best wizards of editing there is standing behind you. I'm I'm very excited to see this film come out. Dude, I can't wait. So yeah, and um, guys can also check you out. You run like uh, uh, the the best social media. So predators never quit. And then you also have a personal page on Sam Davis. Uh, uh, such a great follow. And then uh, your YouTube, right? Predators never quit as well. You're always putting yeah, up content yeah, yeah. on there I, as well. I have a U- yeah, I have a YouTube. Uh, my my biggest thing is probably my my personal uh, Instagram, which is s davis two five zero six. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you, now that I've done a few of these films for Stone Glacier, now my own hunts that I haven't been with those guys, it's kind of been nice not having a camera. So I've kind of, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I've kind of slacked on filming my own personal hunts. And uh, because I've I've been so lucky to have a few of them filmed with Stone Glacier, you know what I'm talking about. Because when you go with the Eastman's guys, it's cool to have a few, but it's, it's sure nice to not have a cameraman too. Or not oh, have to worry packing a camera. It's, yeah. Like take, taking that element out has been nice. So yeah, I have slacked off on my personal YouTube a little bit, but um, um, I do have a YouTube Predators Never Quit also. So, oh, you've yeah. got some great films on there and um, great hunts that you've captured for sure. And I hear it uh, again, just cut from the same cloth or fell from the same tree. It's like we uh, we love and enjoy bow hunting so much. It's um, it's nice. I have to do a mix and match of like uh, capturing hunts and having a videographer, and I enjoy that and enjoy the process. But I also enjoy just going bow hunting by myself with no camera <laughs> and uh, not having to capture it to just be there in the moment and enjoy it so yep. you know we're the same yep. same in that but um 
dude, you're the best. Thanks so much for like taking the time and jumping on during season. I know you're so busy and so uh, really appreciate you waking up early and jumping on with me. And um, we want to have you do more stuff for Eastman's. And then, um, yeah, I just want to keep in contact with you. I just love having you on the podcast, man. But can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And, um, man, how happy I am for your success this season. And uh, you got any tags left? I have a well. Thanks a lot for all that too, Brian. Um, thanks for having me on. This is I love talking to you. It's always good to BS with you. Um, I got a late season whitetail tag, and I got some cool ideas for it. Um, I, I got some fun adventures. Now that I'm not working at the ranch where I was, and I was guiding, you know, anywhere between 80 and 90 days a year. So I've really cut back on my guiding. I'm only going to guide for a couple weeks this year, so it's going to open the doors for some fun stuff. So yeah, I have a late season whitetail tag. And I got a late season cow elk tag too, which I really love chasing cow elk in the snow and usually like late November, December. I love that with my bow. So when they're all herded up, it's a blast. So just a couple fun hunts that are coming up. All the all the big kinder stuff's kind of out of the way, and I'm really looking forward. My wife's got a white tail tag, so yeah, really looking forward to kind of kicking back this year and actually hunting some white tail and and having some fun with that, which I haven't done a whole lot of. I've killed quite a few white tail, but haven't really taken it serious. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun November. Good for you, man. I'm actually – I'm really excited to hear what you get done on this moose. I know you're waiting for the rut, and I know the season's just amping up for this moose. So I can't see, can't wait to see what you get done. Oh, dude, I'm so excited. Yeah, I've uh, been out quite a bit here. It opened September 15th. It's been a little slow. The bulls have kind of been running together. I know where a couple are from scouting, but just haven't been able to turn them up in these big drainages. The The numbers, the densities are so low, you know, that they're yeah. uh, few and far yeah. between. But yeah, I'm dedicating this whole month of October. Every free minute I have will be hunting moose. <laughs> and so uh, I'm super pumped. In fact, uh Gosh, I'm losing track of the days. I think today's Thursday. So, yeah, I think um may even cut out a, a little early today or take tomorrow and do a three-day weekend and go chasing around. So, man, I'm pumped. And thanks for all your intel on hunting Shiris moose. Um, you killed a giant a couple of years ago. And uh, it's really helped, like, just um uh, your strategy and your thoughts on them. And then it always gets me excited uh, hearing another guy that, that arrowed a Shiris moose. So, yeah, man, can't wait. It's going to be super fun. Well, sweet. Well, send me pictures and keep in touch, man. And Will congrats do. on the bull elk that was a stud you killed. Yeah, thanks so much, so. dude. It just in the the crazy, like the just the coolest elk playground and a range that I had never killed a bull. So you know, it was all fresh to me. But just this uh, uh, pristine high mountain killed him above nine thousand feet and uh, great wow. six point. And man, it was. It was a season for the books, man. I just had so much fun. Uh, but, yeah, thanks so much, man. Um, I consider you a good friend, and we'll keep in touch. And let me know if I can do anything on my end. All right, Barney. Well, thanks for having me on, man, and good luck on that moose. Yeah, thanks, buddy. All right, bye. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Again, really fun conversation. Uh, I really like Sam, man. That guy is a go-getter, just a die-hard bow hunter good family man and he just puts in the hard work and um puts in the effort like i say i shot with him this summer and i was just super impressed the guy can shoot a bow uh he's just uh, committed himself to the craft 
which is why, you know, I, I love seeing his success, love having him on the podcast, talking about it. And congratulations to him, that bison, his bull, his buck. Uh, he had another stellar season and, um, yeah, just really happy for that guy. He puts in the work. So, uh, thanks to him again for coming on the podcast, especially late September. I know, you know, we're all so busy. And so I appreciate him taking time out of his schedule and doing a early morning podcast with me. So, uh, that was great. Uh, make sure to support our sponsors. Uh, really brings weight to the podcast, and I really appreciate it. Uh, so you can check them out over there at Cryptech. Uh, you can check them out at Vector Custom Arrows, uh, Black Ovis, and Camo Fire. So thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast, and thanks to Eastman's for all their support. Um, those guys uh, uh, really support me in everything I do. I'm a bit of a subcontractor as I'm located in Montana and they're Wyoming. And so I try to keep up with those guys and catch up as much as possible. And uh, man, just killing it this season. That um, that Dan Bacar is a heck of a bow hunter. Uh, he killed two giant bulls this year. So um, congrats to him. That guy puts in the work. He loves to elk hunt. And so uh, really happy for his success as well. Um, those bulls were just out of this world. So, uh, good going Dan and, and, um, make sure to check out everything we're doing. The magazines, Eastman's bow hunting journal, Eastman's hunting journal, uh, check out the Eastman's hunting TV on YouTube or the beyond the grid on YouTube and, uh, got some good new episodes hitting there and, um, check out that new mule deer school. I uh, put it together with Dan Picard. I'm really proud how it turned out over a hundred different videos. It's sure to cut your learning curve by years. Uh, in just a week's time or a couple weeks time or whatever it takes you to go through the course. So make sure to check that out. And, um, we do have some muley hunting come up, coming up. So, uh, kind of wrapping up elk hunting for me. Well, I am wrapped out, wrapped up. I did tag a bull, but, um, you know, I still got some buddies that are hunting elk and, um, seeing them in a few places. And then I'm just, uh, all moose here for October. Uh, the moose are rutting really hard. They're turning on. I'm starting to see more and more of them starting to see some bulls. So, just a matter of time. I just got to catch up with one of those big ones. And, uh, I need to clone myself so I can have one guy at work and then one guy that just hunts full time would be great. But, um, all, all I can do is, um, uh, hunt the time that I have I was out last night. I think I got a volleyball game tonight for my daughter, but, um, really looking to squeeze out a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or at least a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe like a Thursday morning, something like that. But, Man, I'm going to go hard here. It's such an awesome opportunity. So fortunate to have this tag and this chance to hunt them in such a, a beautiful mountain range. I'm hunting that uh, Gravelly's West Fork area. And I've got, um, thanks to you guys, uh, there's been some guys that hunt that area that have sent me some good tips. One that I got just a little bit late, I got a tip and I thought he had seen the bull Sunday. He had actually seen him Friday. So I hustled over Sunday night and went hunting for him and of course, I was two days late on that thing, so I got that one a little bit wrong, but I've been getting some good tips, and it's just good to know that there's some good bulls around in the unit, and uh, again, I just need to get lucky. I just need to see one of those big bulls off a of vantage point. Just just need a chance. Uh, bow's shooting really good. Stalking skills are up to par, and um, yeah, just need a chance here, so uh, I'm going to earn one this month. I'm going to go hard, so... Uh, really excited and, um, it's been fun. I get, I get excited, uh, every day I get to go bow hunt these things. So it's going to happen here. Um, so I'm going to keep after those things. Uh, uh, hopefully you guys still have some adventures coming up and congratulations on your adventures you've already had in September. Man, that September is just an awesome month to bow hunt. 
It is chasing those elk during the rut. It just doesn't get any better than that. So fun. So wrapping up that portion of hunting season, and then I've got some late season muley tags. Um, yeah, I've got a got a move. I sold my house, which is a good thing. It's a great move for me and my family. Uh, but I do have to move November fifteenth to December first, right in there. So it's gonna mess up my muley rut a little bit. I'm hoping to maybe squeeze out a short weekend trip in there, and then. Just get it done, knock out this move, hand this house over to the new owners and um, be in a rental for a little bit until I can finish my house. But at least we got a rental figured out. And then my house is coming good, making great progress, trying to get the garage done so I can move all my stuff in there. So we're just pushing hard. Projects are coming good. I've got good clients, you know, maybe took a little too much work this year, but, um, you know, I'll... uh, I'll recalibrate and um, make some changes, and um, I, I won't be quite so busy next hunting season. That's a guarantee. So uh, life is busy, and we're all busy just trying to make a living and support a family and then get out and chase our passions. And um, it's it's a balance in life, and um, just going to try to do the best I can, as I know you guys are too. So um, hard work pays off, man. Uh been fun to see your guys' success this season and thanks for all the support on the podcast i really appreciate it and um yeah with that check in with you guys next week